Hi, my name is Scott and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website www.RestoredTemecula.Church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoyed the message. I love you guys. Awesome. Okay. It's good to be with you all. Good morning. My name is Herrick. I'm one of the elders here of this church, and I want to welcome you to our Sunday gathering. Uh, if you're new with us, we want to welcome you. Glad that you're here. Uh, we've been in a series called The King and His Kingdom. We've been working through the Gospel of Matthew, and we are going to continue that this morning. And I'm, I'm really excited. I think I've got a text. It's only three verses, but I feel like there's so much in them that, I don't know, I've been surprised at the depth of just these three quick verses and all that. I think God has been showing me over the course of this week. Uh, so before I dive in, I'd love to invite you to pray uh, with me, pray for me for this time, because I think God wants to do some stuff uh, this morning. So Father, we want to thank you for this morning. Uh, we want to honor you and bless you. We want to say thank you, because your word continually reveals to us your mercy, your goodness, your gentleness. Uh, your word continually shows us that you give us far better than we deserve. You've given us the gift of your son that we could never earn, and that we could never repay. And now, like our, I, think, I think what you invite us into is like a thoughtful response. Not to repay the gift, but to, to respond in a way that, that reveals your goodness and your glory to everybody. And so I pray that this morning that you would do a work in each one of us that's here starting with me, and, uh, and would you have your way this morning? We love you and we thank you. Here we pray, amen. Uh, so I've been chewing on this question, what happens when the kingdom comes? We've been in this series, The King and His Kingdom, it's all about Jesus, Jesus is the king, and he's bringing this kingdom of God, this rule and reign of God onto the earth. So this question that's been kind of bouncing around in my mind and heart is what happens when the kingdom comes? Have you ever been in, uh, in a big city, maybe, been in New York, maybe around the United Nations? Um, when a head of state shows up, what happens? Oof, the, the murmur. Um, flat? Fly the flag, okay. They block the streets, yep. There's a, there's a motorcade, right? There's police escorts. There's a commotion. I think they call it a hubbub. That's kind of what happens when heads of state show up. There's really like a kind of a certain weight that presidents, that prime ministers carry. Um, there's a certain honor bestowed on them, typically speaking. And kings and queens as well. So I just want to ask the question this morning, like what happens when the head of humanity shows up? What happens? What do you expect to happen? And when I say the head of humanity, I, I mean Jesus. Jesus is revealed as the head of this new creation. We're, we're, part of the, we're kind of in this in-between time where we're, we experience life in the old. Obviously, the world is not what it was meant to be. It's broken. It's beautiful, but broken. And Jesus very clearly is ushering in this new, this new creation. But we're kind of in between. So what happens when the head of humanity shows up in the middle of the story? I think we have a, we have a story here that really helps to illustrate and to bring out some of the power of what happens when the head of humanity shows up. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, welcome. Uh, he's actually instructed you and me to pray that God's kingdom would come, right? And so the question is, like, do you know what to expect if and when God answers that prayer? What do you think will actually happen? Are you ready for what happens when the kingdom comes? Let's pick up the story, and we're going to learn about this. Uh, the story is out of Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 to 34. A uh, little bit of context here if you're new, if you haven't been journeying with us. Uh, we've kind of seen Jesus, we've been going through a series of short stories, like little vignettes, of Jesus interacting with people of all kinds. 
He's been interacting with people who are really sick. We've been, he's been interacting with people who are outcasts in society. Uh, he's been dealing with lepers. Uh, he's been dealing, he actually had a story where there was a person that was brought to him who was actually, who was dead. So he's dealing with death. Uh, he's dealing with all kinds of things. And he's showing up, he's really revealing his authority over everything, everything that's broken in the world. And so today is kind of, we're going to hit the last story before we hit like a big transition in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, the first big block of teaching in the Matthew was the Sermon on the Mount. If you were with us for that, that's his authoritative teaching on how life in the kingdom works. It's remarkable. And then we're going to kind of get, we're going to transition into a time here pretty soon, not today, where he's going to do like his second big block of teaching, which is almost like the Sermon on Mission, on what it's going to look like when people go out into the world and spread his good news. So we're, we're getting ready for that. The Sermon on the Mount is kind of behind us, and we're about ready to transition. So this is a kind of a final story before some big stuff starts to happen. Uh, and so I want to just walk you through these three verses. They're very brief, but I think there's profound stuff happening here. So Matthew chapter 9, if you have a Bible, verses 32 to 34. If you don't, they'll be up on the screen for you. So Jesus has just healed uh, a couple of blind people. And as they were going out from there, a demon-possessed man or a demonized man who was unable to speak was brought to him. So another hurting person experiencing tremendous amounts of bondage and pain in their life was brought to Jesus. Now when the demon had been driven out, which by the way, how low-key is that? When the demon had been driven out. It's just, the language is just like, The man who had been mute spoke. So imagine someone who's mute, can't, he, he does not have faculty over his, his own like, tongue. That tongue is loose and he starts to speak. I really wish we had a transcript of what he said. What do you think he would say? I don't even know. I'm not, I don't know. Just probably something like that. But here's the, that's not the point of the story. We get almost no details about this man, huh? Almost nothing. It was just like he started talking. Because the emphasis that Matthew has isn't on this, on this healing. As, as powerful as it is, it's not the point. Here's the point. The crowds were amazed, saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Israel's seen some stuff. It's a wildly charismatic, powerful leaders in its past. And they're saying, uh-uh, this is different. This is greater. And then 34, the last verse for today. But the Pharisees said, he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. End of scene. Okay, we're going to talk about a couple of things today. If you're a note taker, here's my outline. We're going to talk about marvel, about like people, people's response, they marvel. And then mystery, marvel and mystery. Only two points today. Okay, so verse 33, right, when, this, when the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed, they were marveling. Okay, so what's going on here? Uh, I think it's helpful to know, one of the things I've been thinking about this week, it's easy sometimes just to read these stories, because they are 2,000 years old, and sometimes, you know, I think it's totally fair to, to begin to kind of reason through and logic, think through this logically, like, hey... These people didn't have the 2,000 years of medical and scientific advancement that we currently possess. So it, it can be kind of easy to think about these stories and be like, well, did they really know what was going on? Did they, did they kind of take like an, a broad approach where it's sort of like anything they saw, they try to cast out? Um, and the reality is that's not the case. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed just reading through Matthew and the commentators have picked this up. Uh, I read it in commentary after commentary, is that Matthew is really careful to distinguish between disability and demonization. He's very careful to draw that distinction, and the ancients actually could draw that distinction as well. Um, this disability that this person is, is dealing with is not because, it's, it's, it's a byproduct of being demonized, okay, being under the influence of an evil spirit. And so... What's a demon? Can't get into all of it, but just think a fallen spiritual being in rebellion to God. 
So this wasn't an, a situation where we've seen these situations where Jesus, where somebody has faith and they come to Jesus, even if I could just touch the fringe of his robe, I'll be healed. You know, we saw that story, we read it. They had faith, they exercised faith, they were healed, right? So we've seen stuff like that. Or we've seen, like last week, we saw Jesus put his hands on the eyes of a blind person and their eyes were opened. This isn't one of those situations. This is a situation where Jesus has to expel the source, which is a spiritual, it's spiritual evil. And so one of the things that I noticed just reading through this text is that their spiritual realities can actually affect our physical reality. Uh, this man needed someone with spiritual power. He didn't just need a doctor. He needed someone with spiritual power. And here's the cool part. Jesus didn't disappoint. He didn't disappoint. Like, he came through. And I love reading the story this week. Uh, some of you guys remember last summer, in August, we had our international gospel partners from North Africa here. I'm not going to say their name because this is being recorded, but you know who they are if you were here. And if you don't know, we have some international gospel partners doing work in North Africa that's really remarkable. In a country where there's almost no Christians, they're there sharing about Jesus. And I got, uh, this week, I got a newsletter from them. Um, uh, some of you guys probably get the newsletters from them, but uh, I got this in my, in my inbox, and I just had to read it, because it just felt like, it felt like one of those wings from God. As I'm, as I'm reading this, as I'm reading this text, as I'm preparing for this message, and I get this in my inbox. Uh, our missionaries will send stories of what's happening in the field. And if, you, if, you've, if you're on the newsletter, you'll know it's, it's a mixed bag. There are times when they're sharing stories where it's just like, this is just really hard. This is, we're like rethinking things. We're struggling through some stuff. And then you get stories where you're just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So I'm going to read you this one real quick. It said, the newsletter said, our team has been working with a group in a city a few hours away. So they work. This is pretty cool. Like in, in that country, there's so few Christians that they have to kind of work together. <laughs> they have to band together. Um, you don't have the choice of not working together because you will die in isolation, if that makes sense. Not what we're used to here, but there they have to work together. So their team has been working with a group in the city a few hours away. Uh, they have been sharing with a friend who they call A. They call him A for security, um, but this is a real person, who wanted to believe. Okay, so when they say they've been sharing with a friend, it means that they've been reading the Bible with them. They've been talking to them about Jesus. They've been presenting the realities of who Jesus is. They've been praying for these people to come to believe in Jesus, put their faith in him, and begin to walk with him. Um, and so this person was getting close. I don't know if you've ever like, been in that spot where like, I want to believe, but. I was there for five years. And so this person's in that space. I want to believe, but. And I love it. In the newsletter, it says to make the decision to be dunked. You guys know what be dunked means? To get baptized. But literally, because of where they're coming from, they can't say that in the this is, I don't know. I think this is amazing. They have to come up with like special language, like almost code. To be dunked. That, that is to be baptized. So this person was really hesitating to be baptized. And when you're baptized, you're, you're basically saying, I'm identifying with Jesus. I'm being baptized into his death and I'm coming to life and I'm, I'm one with him now. His death was for me and now his life, I find my life in his life. So that's a big thing to do. And in that, this context, if you do this, it could cost you everything. It could cost you your family. It could cost you so much. And so the fact that they're hesitating to make a decision makes sense. Now, some local believers were praying with this person. And he, it says that he suddenly needed to vomit. And then said afterward that he felt like something spiritually evil came out of him. And now he felt total peace. Then they dunked him in the ocean. And he's joined their fellowship. And there's a picture in the newsletter of this person getting baptized. I mean, the, their faces are blocked off, but, or um, kind of, you can't see who, their face exactly, but they're getting baptized in the Mediterranean, presumably. Amazing, right? So why am I bringing this up to you? This isn't, these stories, they're, they're there. I know they're 2,000 years old. I know there's been 2,000 years of medical advancement. But sometimes we face things that don't require medicine. They require it's spiritual evil, it's the source that we're, it needs to come out. And Jesus has power to expel spiritual evil. He has authority over demons. And today, we still see that happening. 
Uh, I remember, I remember once, um, and this, this, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, well, that's Africa. And they're more spiritually sensitive and they're more open, which is true. Um, but as I was thinking about this week, this stuff this week, um, I was reminded of a story from several years ago uh, where I was in a meeting with several other people and we were praying for, for a young woman who was really troubled. And we were praying for this person, for this young woman who was really troubled. And it became very clear that what was troubling her was the source of it was spiritual evil. And I'll never forget the moment when I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm praying. Am I a little freaked out? A little bit. But I'm sitting there and I'm praying for this person. And, and she turns to me and she says, I see your face, but it's like your mouth is blocked off like this. So it's like my mouth was moving. It's, it's often moving when I'm praying for people. In that case, it was, it was moving. Um, but she saw him. He couldn't see. And it was one of those situations where it was, became very clear, like, her physical reality was being significantly impacted by a spiritual reality that she couldn't control. Now, I'm happy to say that for this, for this young woman, by the end of that time of prayer with, with different people, she was free, like she was healed. In fact, one of the ways that, that I know now that somebody's been freed from spiritual evil is their face. Uh, she she looks so much lighter. She almost looked like she, had, she was five years younger than when she walked in the room. I don't know if you've never seen it. It's hard to explain. It's hard to describe, but you know. Uh, if you know, you know. But there was a lightness. Like this, it's like aging went in reverse. I don't know what you call that. Reverse aging? Getting younger? Doesn't matter. Jesus, she needed someone with spiritual power to free her. And Jesus showed up. And Jesus brought deliverance. Okay, so why do we see people marveling in this story? It's because Jesus does things that we naturally can't. If you're taking notes, that's my first point. Jesus does things that we can't. Anybody ever gotten into a grapple with a demon before? I haven't. Not, let me put it this way. Not physically. Have anybody ever done battle, spiritual battle with a demon before? There's people in this room that have. Okay. Would I, in my own strength, have any, any reason to believe that I could say something and a demon would listen to me? No. No. Who am I? Nobody. I'm nobody. But Jesus is different. When Jesus shows up and he does give authority to his followers in different ways, spiritual evil has to go. And so the reason why people are marveling, the reason why people are in awe is because Jesus does things that we cannot do. And that's a wonderful thing. When was the last time you marveled at Jesus? Let's just take a minute just to think about that. When was the last time you marveled at Jesus? I'm so glad for this message this week. And for nobody else, this was for me. Because I was like, oh man, I really, it's been a while since I really marveled. In fact, I've actually noticed some cynicism just kind of, kind of clouding my own vision and my own heart that's developed over the last couple years. It's hard to be cynical and be in awe at the same time. It just is. I'm not sure that it's possible to be both. And so this week, just sitting with, with this text, uh, I started thinking about my own life, and I started thinking about all the reasons that I have to marvel, and there's actually a lot of them. And I bet you if you slow down and stop and thought about it, you could come up with many yourself. Because anywhere that Jesus is working... He's doing things that we can't. Sometimes it's, it's with, with something like spectacular, like a demonized person that needs that demon, the source of their uh, physical pain or suffering, to be expelled. But other times, it's, it's Jesus slowly working to help us to become more like him, to slowly like, begin to love people, to slowly begin to think about ourselves less and think about others more. Like Jesus does all kinds of things that we can't. So when was the last time you marveled at Jesus. I want to propose to you, if it's been a while, you can start today. Uh, you might be facing something that's bigger than you. You might want to meet you in that. What, would it, what might it look like to bring your impossible situation to Jesus? 
or an impossible situation that someone that you know and love is facing and they can't overcome it on their own. Why do we marvel? Because Jesus does things that we cannot. So that's the first thing I wanted to talk to you guys about, marveling. Uh, The second thing I want to talk to you about is mystery. It's mystery. Because this text also has a level of mystery in it. Uh, Some people in this text are healed. Did you notice what happens in verse 34, though? Others are hardened. Their hearts grow hard. Verse 34 says, uh, the Pharisees said, he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. This is pretty intense. Uh, what, Jesus, what they're saying is, Jesus is doing all this stuff because he's in league with Satan. Is that a thing, in league? He's in partnership with Satan. This is, a, this is born out of a marriage. This is birthed out of a marriage with evil, is what they're saying, what you see here. Pretty intense stuff, right? Logically, it doesn't make a lot of sense uh, for someone to drive out demons by the ruler of demons because the ruler of demons wouldn't actually want demons gone. Uh, Typically, you don't uh, conquer something by defeating your soldiers. Typically, you don't conquer a city by killing off a third of your soldiers, right? That's just not the way that it works. So the logic in and of itself was ridiculous. And Jesus is going to tell them you're ridiculous in the next few chapters, and we'll get to that soon enough. Sometime between 2024 and 2030, we'll get to those verses. (laughs) This is serious. I don't know if you guys, and I was trying to think, man, this is where my, I I really wish I had a better memory. I have watched, over the years, I've watched so much TV, so many TVs and movies, and I couldn't think of a single one that fit the description. So I'm just going to tell you what I was thinking about. I don't know if you've ever been watching a TV show where at the end of an episode, someone just does something remarkable. And everybody's like, yeah, you, we love you, you're the best. But then it kind of fades out and there's one person in the corner that's like, can anybody think of an example of one? It would be really helpful to me if we could collectively come up with one. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Someone's in the corner stewing and they're like, I'm gonna kill you, type of thing. I can't think of one. Whatever. They're plotting their revenge. That's what happened here. That's what's happening here. Uh, There's a level of envy that's present in these verses that's really really spectacular and staggering because if you think about who the Pharisees are, um, and I have a lot to learn about. One of the things I started doing this week was like trying to learn more about the Pharisees, and I recognized as I was working through it, like, oh, I actually don't know. I think some of the popular understanding of Pharisees needs to be reconsidered. Um, partly because they're not just legalists that ruin fun, which is sort of how I think of them. There's, they're actually, they're people who are really serious about their faith. They're very serious about their faith. In fact, they were really interested in making following the way of God accessible to many people. They were actually sort of lenient in some areas. You ever thought about the Pharisees being lenient? They loosened, they brought the, they made divorce, they were into kind of quick and easy divorce. And Jesus was like, I'm not into that. So there was a leniency to them, but part of it was driven because like, we want everybody to be able to experience life with God, right? So they're complex. They're a complex bunch. Um, But at the end of the day, what we see here very clearly is that they're responding to mercy with murder, in the heart. How do I know that? I've read the rest of Matthew. We know what's coming. And what they're starting to do is, is you can see the, the seed form of murder. I think when murder is like fully grown, like it, you, it could take a life. But in the seed form, it looks like slander. They're slandering Jesus. And some, when, when the kingdom of God shows up, Some are healed and some are hardened. Some harden. And I've seen this. Uh, I've seen this in my own life. I remember once, one 
One night at my house, um, I'm sitting with a bunch of people, and one person is talking about how there's so much like good fruit here. So, that, so they're looking at the, at the community of people gathered around the table, around Jesus, desiring to follow him and obey him and grow in his love and in his mercy and responding to grace with gratitude, doing all those things. And one person says, there's so much fruit here with like this sense of gratitude and, and joy. The same night, somebody else turns to me and says, I don't see the value in any of this. So I was like, well, so glad you're here. <laughs> Help yourself to some more wine uh, and open up my fridge and eat my food if you'd like. <laughs> like it's just like a, you know, like a, such a strange thing. But I heard the same thing in one night from two different people. And you know what's fascinating about this? The people that said this, both of them know the Bible really well. Both of them have been around the church for a long time. And both of them came to two completely different conclusions about the work that was taking place in our midst. Uh, kind of intense, if I'm honest. It, it, had me, it had me spinning a little bit. And it made me kind of question, like, what are we doing? <laughs> How is it possible to have such diametrically opposed responses to literally the same thing? The same thing. Um, this passage this morning really helped me out because I'm seeing that this kind of stuff, these divergent responses, followed Jesus around. <laughs> I'm not Jesus, let me be very clear. Like, there's, there's going to be things I have to own and repent of. Jesus had nothing to own and repent of. Uh, just his divinity, you know, like, I am. I am. And yet, this is what happened to him. His, he, when he brought the kingdom of God to bear on people's lives, some were healed and others hardened. That's just the reality. So I just want to ask you the question, like, have you ever been in the same group of people and seen some people get well while others grow hardened at a heart level? You ever seen something like that happen? Has it ever, has it, you ever been like surprised at like, wait, but the people that are growing harder are like the ones that have been in church for a long time and know the Bible really well. Have you ever been surprised at people's negative reaction to something that really, truly seems like God at work? And you know it's God at work because there's peace, pa you can't fake it. Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, love is, is, is taking place, it's growing, it's, it's happening, and, and it's, you can see it, but, but not everyone can see it. Not everyone has actually eyes to see it. So there's a mystery here. I just want to be really clear. There's a mystery to the kingdom of God. Some are healed and others hardened. That's just a reality. That's second, point number two, if we can throw that up there. Some are healed and others hardened. You see this? Uh, and this isn't like limited to Jesus. You see this, and I'm not going to get into a ton of detail about this, but if you, I've been going through Exodus, and, uh, and you see that there's this big showdown in Egypt between God and the gods of Egypt, between Moses and Pharaoh, if you know the story. And one of the things that, that is fascinating is the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Like he hardens his heart continually. Uh, he sees God do incredible things, things that would blow our minds, uh, miracles, things that are on such a grand scale that they're like, they feel impossible. If millions of frogs invading <laughs> Egyptian houses, right? Weird stuff. And they all die. And it says it stink. It's like really weird stories. And then lice or gnats uh, coming in and filling the entire, like just weird things happening. And at the one, on the one hand, you have people who are marveling at God, and on the other hand, you have people who are hardening their heart. But what's happening, again, here is you just see it. When God shows up, different, you get different responses. There's no, there's no one response. It's not monolithic. It's not. So I want to I kind of challenge you, as I've felt challenged this week, like, 
What are you facing right now that feels impossible? What are you facing right now that feels impossible? And here's the cool part. This, this might not be you. You might be like, hey man, things are good right now. It's November 19th and all the holiday lights are going up. The Christmas trees, like we went to a Christmas tree lighting last night. Life is good. I'm just thinking about like what I want for Christmas. What I, you know, like, and that's, that's a wonderful place to be in. If that's you today, like great. Here's the beauty of being in a community we can be there for one another because eventually it's not going to be that way. There's people in your community that are facing their own impossible situations. So I just want to ask you, like, what does it look like to bring your impossible to Jesus or bring somebody else's impossible to Jesus on their behalf? What could that look like for you? What could that look like in this season? What would it look like to pray with faith? Uh, I was, we were reading this week uh, stories to our kids. We do that most nights. And we were reading the story out of Acts. I forget what chapter it was. You guys don't have this in the back, so I'm just going to kind of s- summarize it. But one of my absolute, I think it might be Acts 12. One of my absolute favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Peter in prison. Anybody know that one? Peter's in prison. If you don't know who Peter is, Peter was one of the early followers of Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his, one of his three closest buddies, uh, ministry partners, friends. And he, Peter, after Jesus died, was raised, ascended to heaven, uh, Peter was a part of the early church, and, and they were going out and they were sharing the good news about Jesus, that Jesus is king. He's come, he's granting repentance, he's granting forgiveness. And the entire world is now called to come under his rule and reign and experience real life with him. So Peter's doing that. And there's so much fruit, so much. Like you see the the apostles repeating the life of Jesus. They're doing this sort of thing. They're healing. They're doing miracles, signs, wonders. It's remarkable. At the same time that that's happening, though, uh, James, one of the apostles, is murdered by a ruler. So you have, you have a murder that takes place. It, it gets sort of like good publicity for this ruler at that time. And so he's like, well, I'm going to grab Peter too, since that seemed, that's helping me in the, in the popularity polls. So he puts Peter in prison. And so I want you to imagine, if you're in a gospel community, if you're new, a gospel community, just a group of men and women who are following Jesus together in meaningful, intentional ways in their households. Imagine if your GC leader winds up in prison take a second to think about it. That'd be weird, but it could happen. It's probably not likely to happen here in America in our lifetime, but it could. So imagine they wind up in prison. And the reason they're in prison is because they've been making disciples and telling people about Jesus, okay? So they're in prison. What would you do? This isn't, uh, you can answer. Yeah. What would you do? Pray. Good. That's a good answer. You would pray. Naturally, because that's an impossible situation. It's like, there's a ruler who doesn't seem to have much accountability beheading our leaders, and they got our leader in prison. We should pray. So that's, that's what they do. They start to pray. And they start to hold these prayer meetings where they're just crying out to God, God, please have mercy on Peter. Please have mercy on Peter. Oh my goodness, please, no more. No more like beheadings. Please have mercy on Peter. And, uh, and so Peter's in the prison, asleep. How is he sleeping? It's like the next day he's gonna, he's, they're going to kill him. And it says he's sleeping, which tells you something about Peter. I haven't figured it out yet. He's either the most confident, trusting disciple of all time, or he's just, um, he's a heavy sleeper. Uh, he's, he's really tired. I don't know. I can't figure it out. I don't think I would be sleeping if if that was me. Okay. And so they're praying. Peter's passed out asleep. And then all of a sudden, it says that all the prison gates opened up. And there was an angel that was kind of like like a little bit of a pushy angel. It was like, hey, man, get your your coat on. Hey, hey, get dressed. We got to go. Get dressed. Put on your coat. Put on your sandals, Peter. You know, like, it's just like this pushy angel. It's just like a weird 
detail that they added in. But he, he took Peter, and Peter thinks it's a vision. He's like, oh, I'm dreaming or I'm seeing things. So then Peter walks through the prison, and then he's outside. And the angel disappears. He's like, oh, snap, that was real. And that's what happened. And then Peter goes to the house where they're praying, and he knocks on the door. He's like, hey, it's Peter. Don't make a big deal about this, but let me in. And then this, 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 it says a servant girl, Rhoda, knocks, answers the door, and she is so excited that she forgets to let him in, and she just goes and tells everybody, hey, it's Peter. He's outside. And they're like, you're crazy. It's his angel. They thought, they thought it was more likely that an angel had shown up than God had answered a prayer, that given them exactly what they asked for. And then Peter just keeps knocking. It's like, is this for real? Just been miraculously delivered from prison. I'm going to get rearrested outside of the house of the people that are praying for me. And so eventually they open the door and they let him in. And sort of like, shh, be quiet. What's wrong with you all? Type of thing. And then he has to go somewhere else because they're, they're going to be on to him soon. That type of thing. So that's one of my absolute favorite stories in the Bible. And here's why. Because when we pray... Sometimes God will surprise us by answering those prayers. <laughs> Sometimes he'll actually do what we ask him to do, and we're not ready. Yeah. We're just not ready. But the kindness of God to be like, okay, yeah, I'll open up all the prison doors. I'll let him out because you asked. Like, what if we had that kind of, of situation happen, and that wasn't like an uncommon thing, where we pray for things and things happen? be amazing, right? Uh, there's a sense in which, from this text, you can, as you, as you begin to do this, as we begin to do this together, because this isn't something that's done uh, necessarily individually, as we, as we do this together, you can expect that certain times things are going to happen that blow your mind. And it's not just the healing. Sometimes it's the hardening that comes that will blow your mind too. And that's normal stuff in the Christian life. It's not weird. It's normal. Um, I was reading this week. Actually, let me just say this real quick. Um, I want to be like, sensitive, too, to the fact that there's, there's some of you in this room who are going through like, serious suffering, and you have been praying, and you haven't gotten the answer to the prayer that you wanted. You haven't gotten, you haven't had the, the situation where the, the jail opens up. You haven't had the situation where the person gets well. Uh, there may be somebody in your life that's still sick. Uh, there may be something in your life that's still really suffering, and it may be you or somebody that's close to you. And he, I, I was thinking about that this week, too. And it got me thinking about the Apostle Paul. Uh, you guys don't have this, these verses in the back, but I'm just going to read to you something that happened to Paul. If you don't know who the Apostle Paul is, he's another one of these early church leaders that was given an incredible calling to go and share Jesus with all kinds of people. And this, these are some words that he penned in his life that have really stuck with me. He said, uh, so that I would not exalt myself. So he had had these incredible, extraordinary uh, encounters with God, the kind of thing that would begin blow your mind, would, blow, would just blow us away if we, if we had experienced what he experienced. But at the same time, as he was going through these incredible encounters with God, it says that a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And then he talks about how he's going to then, I will boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. And then somewhere else, and he wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, as he's talking to these early Christians, he says, it's been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So why am I saying this? Because I know that one of the things that can make, one of the things that makes cynicism real is the fact that things don't always play out like they do in this story. Things don't always play out where the person gets well. Uh, sometimes the situation gets worse. Sometimes the situation doesn't resolve the way you want it to. That doesn't mean that God's not working, though. 
In these situations when the kingdom of God breaks in, some are healed, others are hardened, and then others like the Apostle Paul experience God's, God holding them in their hardship. Uh, some of you, if you've been following Jesus for a little while, you might remember this story that took place back in like the late 2000s. There's a really famous, maybe became famous, I think in part because of this, pastor in uh, Carpinteria. His name is Britt Merrick. Is anybody familiar with him? Some of you guys are. Uh, he had, he's a pastor, well-known guy. He had a daughter who was five years old who was diagnosed with cancer at five. And she, I'm, I'm blanking right now on the kind of cancer that it was, but it was, it was serious. Um, but it did have like a 90% chance of recovery. So the likelihood of her getting better was high through treatment and all that stuff. So they got, they mobilized this. Back in the day when people were blogging a lot, they, they started a blog. And apparently they were like millions of people, I, I, I gather, a lot of people, that were following along with the updates of what was going on with Daisy's treatment. Daisy Merrick was her name. And uh, they, went, they ended up going through four rounds of cancer treatment. Because this particular, for her, it didn't get better. There were moments where it looked like things were getting better, but the cancer itself never went away. So as you can imagine, you have uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people praying for this little girl, and she's not getting better. Uh, she's actually, she's getting worse. And Britt Merrick uh, tells a story of what happened to to his family. Let me see if I can pull up the quote. Here. Oh no, I thought I had it. Actually, can we play the, we have a video clip of it. Can we play the longer one in a second? So I'm gonna show you guys a video of what ended up happening to him and his wife as they were dealing with prayers that weren't being answered the way that they had wanted them to. Go ahead and play the, the longer clip. And this so is him talking. Now Kate and I are in the hospital with Daisy, and they're running the tests, and the doc, she's laying in the hospital bed, and the doctor comes in and says, hey, let's go in the other room and talk. That's, that's never good. Right, we've been there a lot of times. And the doctor says, let's go in the other room. So we go in the other room, and he explains to us, okay, there's a new tumor, and then there's a second tumor, and one's really big, and this and that, and they're inoperable. And he begins to tell us not just the diagnosis, but the prognosis. Which is worst case scenario. So this is the fourth round of cancer. And he tells us this. He says, here are your options. We can... Do this, this, and that. But perhaps the best option is to just go home. Make Daisy as comfortable as we can for a while. And then he left the room, and Kate and I just came unglued, you know, just started crying, weeping. Just started praying, just praying out to God. We're praying. And God gave us grace at that moment. And we looked at each other and we said, here's the deal. From now on, we're not going to ask why. We're only going to ask God to be with us. And it hit me like a ton of bricks that the reason that heaven went silent to me on Mount Carmel was because the consuming question on my heart was, why God? Why is Daisy getting worse? Why are we here and it isn't working? Why could this happen to this innocent little sparrow? Why is this sparrow falling? Why? And as long as I demanded to know why, heaven was quiet. And the moment Kate and I said, we're going to stop asking why, and we're just going to ask you to be with us, God, heaven opened up. I'd been asking the wrong question. I was such a fool. I'd been asking the wrong question. It wasn't about why, it was about who. And since that moment now, there's been a fresh infilling of the gracious presence of God in our lives. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. We do. But we know now that God is with us. And even through the 35 days in the hospital, we've just had God's presence that's given us peace and even at moments, some joy in the midst of all of it. 
And what we're discovering is what Jesus was teaching in this passage, that God's presence is enough to sustain us. The issue is that God is present when tough things happen and that we trust him with the outcome. I was holding Kate's hands in that room and I was crying out, God, you have to be with us. You have to be with us. You have to be with us. And Kate had her phone. I didn't have a phone. And, and she got a text. And I grabbed her phone and I looked and uh, one of our elders' wives had sent her a text at that moment. The text said, I think Jesus wants me to send you this verse right now. And it was Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I turned to Kate with tears in my eyes and I said, God just answered us. We were just saying, be with us, be with us, be with us. And he sent us a text saying, I am with you. It was a text message from God. Text message from God. Uh, when the kingdom comes, some are healed, some are hardened, and some find that God in their deepest hardship holds them. I'm going to call the, the band and the prayer team up. As we close out this section of Matthew, we're, gonna, we're almost done with chapter 9 and we're going to head into a whole new, whole new teaching. We've seen that Jesus has authority over disease, over disaster, over demons, and even over death itself. But did you know that Jesus also, when he cried out at his lowest moment, the divine response to him was, no. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, suffering, he was pleading to God for his life. If there's any other way besides a cross, please. If there's any other way besides going to the cross, please. Three times. And there was silence. Why was there a silence? Because he needed to go to the cross. He needed to experience death on that cross. He needed to experience all of the wrath of God poured onto him so that now in him we could receive God's favor so that he could give us the gift of life. Jesus is the king who brings in his kingdom by dying for his kingdom subjects. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like when you, to pray and, and have the divine answer be no but he entrusted himself to God because he believed that God would raise him from the dead. And that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel says, if you, if you face your impossible situation and you pursue healing through prayer and others pray for you, and there's, I, I cut a whole story out that, was, that, that illustrated this, but sometimes millions of people pray and people get healed. Daisy was an example of when that wasn't the case. There's examples, documented examples of that being the case that God will say yes sometimes. And he'll tell the person in the hospital bed, get up and walk. And they'll be healed for 40 years. So sometimes that happens. And when we get our yes, we need to remember Daisy. We need to remember that even if God heals us, we are going to face death in this life. All the people that Jesus healed, where are they now? Not alive anymore. Death eventually got them. So God may give us a yes, but we have to remember that we're gonna face, we're gonna face death. And, but for those that are facing death and are getting a no, they need to remember that Jesus was raised from the dead. The fact that some people get healed is a little foretaste of the reality that our bodies will one day be restored completely. And so that, when the kingdom comes, some are healed, 
some are hardened, and some experience God holding them. What do you need today? Maybe you're in that spot where you have an impossible situation, you just need to bring it to God. Uh, one of the things that's kind of the modern pitfall, I think, of, of being a 21st century Westerner is that we kind of feel like we can handle things on our own. There's a real cultural value on self-sufficiency, right? It's like a, it's like a good thing. You want to handle this on your own. You want to be independent. The kingdom of God doesn't really work that way. It's the exact opposite. It's as we bring our deepest needs to God that we experience him. So are there impossible situations that you or someone is facing that you need to bring to God today? I want to invite you. There's men and women that want to pray for you up here. Five of them. I would love to pray for you. So lots of opportunities to pray, get prayer today. Maybe you're in a spot where you feel like, actually, I have prayed and I feel like God's answer is not yet, or maybe even no. I need that part where, that you were talking about where Jesus holds me in my hardship. I need that. If that's you. I want you to come up and get prayer as well. And if there's a part of you that's like finding yourself maybe like growing cynical towards God, I'm going to invite you to get prayer too because that could be the start of like a hardening taking place at your heart, in, in the heart level. And I just want you to know like there's power for you to experience today, wherever you're at. Here's the big idea for today. When the kingdom comes, some receive the gift of new life while others reject it. Some receive it and some reject it. And I just encourage you, plead with you, receive it today. Receive it. Father, thank you for this time. I invite you guys to stand if you're able. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your kindness and for your mercy as revealed in this text. You can do what seems impossible to us. Whether that's actually healing us or in our deepest, darkest suffering where the circumstances don't change, you can be the who in the midst of that that brings light and life into darkness. We honor you, Father. We thank you. We bless you. In your name we pray. Amen. Some of you guys probably just need to come up and get prayer during this time. If you, that's a response, that you're like a patient response. Uh, some of you, I just want to invite you to respond as priests and give him praise and thanksgiving, just like the people in the story did. All the crowds were amazed. And in awe, we can express that awe at the goodness of Jesus too, through song and through prayer. Enjoy. Enjoy.